Engineering management can be a lonely place. Welcome to Managers Club, where you'll find interviews with top engineering leaders and managers to help and inspire you. Listen to the real-life stories of successful and ambitious engineering leaders who are focused to lead their teams to bigger and better outcomes. This is Managers Club. Good morning, Randy. Uh, welcome to the Managers Club uh, show. How are you? Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm doing well. Maybe we could start off. Tell us a little about your background. Well, actually, where do you work now? What uh, What's your current role? Sure. I'm the Vice President of Information Security at Veterans United Home Loans. We are a VA loan origination company, so our, our uh, mission is to get our veteran heroes into homes um, at competitive interest rates faster than anybody else in the industry, and, and we do a very good job of that. And so prior to being here, uh, I actually worked for an organization uh, in Missouri called MORNET. It was the Missouri Research and Education Network, and we provided Internet connectivity to the public schools, the universities, and colleges, and public libraries. And most of my career prior to that was also spent in government and education uh, doing mostly system administration work initially, and then switching over as the Internet became a thing, and as we uh, saw the increased need for security, uh, moving into security uh, when I moved to the role of Monet and now here at uh, Veterans United. Uh, that's awesome that you've been doing stuff for veterans and also in education. Like, uh, I think that's really great. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for doing those things. It's our pleasure. It's a, it's a great industry to be involved with, especially now helping veteran heroes because uh, they've, they've put their life on the line for us, and so this is our opportunity to, to give back and to serve them. That, that's, that's just awesome. Um, could you tell me to say a little bit about how you got into management? Um, how did you transition to being a manager? I think like probably a lot of us, um, back in the early days, um, you do system administration work and, and you continue on and then there's a, a recognition that there's a need for actually having a team instead of just an individual or a few individual contributors. And so part of it was the first position that I actually had was at a, a small K-12 school and I hired a couple of people to be assistants for me and also actually utilized some high school students at the time uh, in an official, unofficial capacity where uh, they just were interested in technology. And so I, I really started accidentally, essentially, getting into management from that perspective and then was just more intentional about seeking careers that had opportunity for both technical growth and also management growth. Um, each position that I moved into, I uh, changed jobs a couple of times, uh, that had additional people that were reporting to me and gradually just continued on to to where I'm at now. How many people report to you now? How big a team do you manage? I've got eight direct reports right now, and uh, we also have a concept of something called dotted in. So we have three other people who are parts of other teams, but we bring them onto the information security team so that they can uh, really be a liaison back to those other teams that they work on because they are essential and integrated into the uh, components of keeping our systems and our data secure. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, several companies, you know, a lot of companies have had that concept. Okay, 
Um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you face as an engineering leader? Yeah, so there's there's really two. Uh, one is delegation. It's it's really being clear about what I want to delegate and then helping the person understand, make sure that they're able to repeat back what I need done. For me, information security is a very broad category. I have everything from vendor management and IT audit down to daily incident response and uh, uh, threat hunting. And so there's a and, and policies thrown in with that as well. So making sure that the individuals who are doing that specific technical work really understand what I need to have done and by when and establishing clarity around that is, is the, the biggest challenge. And then the second one is something that probably more of us, especially as you move into a more senior role, uh, fall into a trap of, and, and I have to avoid doing this, is not being a hippo. And I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it's, the, it's an acronym for the highest paid person's opinion. Um, so, you know, when you're in a room together and you have a team meeting, um, if I put forward a, an opinion, then often that stifles the conversation. And I don't want to stifle conversation. I want to encourage conversation, especially uh, sometimes when there is a difference of opinion. I don't want to put my opinion out because then often people are like, well, he said it, that's done, we're going on. And, and that's not at all what I want to have happen uh, because I recognize I'm not the smartest person in the room and I really need to not be the smartest person. I have some really smart people that work for me and with me and uh, we need to have their opinions heard. I, I think that's great. Yeah, I'm totally with you that, you know, those technical decisions should come from the team and not from the, the manager. And so lots of times as a manager, like, you want, you want to speak last, actually, you know, just to hear right. everyone else first. So they're not biased by anything you say. Go ahead. And it's such, an, it's such a challenge because many of us made our careers of being subject matter experts and providing that expert opinion and when you transition into a leadership role, that really has to change, and it, and it can be a struggle. Totally. Um, yeah, you have to let. Sometimes you have to let the team fail and um, and learn from it. Could Could you share with us a lesson, maybe you know, a hard lesson you learned as an engineering leader? Yeah. So I, I think there's a couple of different ways to go with this. One is. Um, Assuming that I knew everything and not asking enough questions to really get to the foundation of what the, the problem was that we were trying to, to resolve. Um, because you get into the problem solving mode and everything looks like a nail because you've got a hammer. And you forget oftentimes um, that now, especially with so many different integrations, so many different opportunities and complexities of systems, um, it's not necessarily always the same as what you've seen before. And so asking good questions, uh, instead of just assuming that I knew the answer, um, that's, that's been uh, that uh, regularly gets repeated of, you know, make sure that we're asking the right question. And, and it's also asking the right question. Sometimes we get the right answer to the wrong question because we didn't think deeply enough and prepare for what the question should be. And uh, it's difficult to admit when you're wrong at that point, and that, that would be the other part of it, is admitting that you're wrong and kind of going back and, and repairing that relationship uh, with people, recognizing we're in the relationship business, not that 
even though it's technology, it's still people. And failing to really recognize that people are what make it work and treating those people with value uh, can be a, a real detriment to moving forward, uh, both as a leader and helping the organization move forward. Got it. Um, what, uh, you know, so talking about people, what is your approach to uh, hiring and recruiting? Yeah, so I, I uh, have really thought a lot about this. We can teach technical skills, but it's really hard to motivate people. And uh, there's a, a lady named Erica Anderson who's author of a book called Be Bad First uh, with the subtitle of Getting Good at Things Fast So You Stay Ready for the Future. And so she puts forward a model of, it's called a new. So look for people that are aspirational, that have a neutral self-image, that have exceeding curiosity, and they are willing to be bad before they're good. If, if we are able to hire people that have that philosophy, then my experience has been I don't have to motivate them every day. They come to work ready to do good things, willing to be bad at it. They're really curious. They already have a neutral self-image, so they're, they're ready to go, but they have aspirations beyond what I can motivate them to do. And, and sometimes I see that, and I'll, I'll see and ask the question of you know, what they're doing already in their current role and in their personal life to really move the security needle. So being in information security, that's a very specific area that we can look at. Oftentimes, that's a, a role that people move into after they've begun in some other um, area. And so we can often ask that question of, what have you done already? What are you already doing to encourage people to be more secure and to help people in their personal lives and in other parts of the business to do secure practices? Because that really demonstrates that they're already motivated. Um, and, and I guess there's, there's one other thing, too. I just came across um, an article earlier this week that was on LinkedIn where somebody was talking about the difference between problem solvers and problem bringers. And in an interview question, if you ask a question like, could you tell me about a time when you were given an assignment and you lacked the necessary skills or knowledge? If you stop there, that's a powerful question. Oftentimes, what we'll do is we'll append this little part at the end and tell me what you did to resolve the situation. So now you've just let that problem bringer person off the hook and you've told them, it's okay to tell me about the one time that you solved a problem, forgetting about the 99 times that all you did was bring a problem to your supervisor or to somebody else and you really didn't try to solve it. And just eliminating that last phrase and just stopping with, could you tell me about a time when you were given an assignment and you lacked the necessary skills or knowledge? Now that's an opportunity for that person to really shine and talk about how they brought, they discovered a problem and how they solved it. And those are the people I want on my team. Yeah, this is great. I, I really like your answer. That I hadn't heard about that first framework. And this is a great question. So uh, I'm going to try that question. That, that's I like how you gave specific questions. That's cool. Yeah, that's, um, it's been very powerful. That's a great behavioral question. That's a really great behavioral question. Um, all right. What would be your advice to uh, new managers or managers who are just starting out? 
I think it would be to recognize that you are now on a new learning path and a new learning journey, especially when we're in information security and, and IT technical positions. Um, you're going to have to learn a lot of what we refer to often as soft skills and all of the things that are not technical. Um, there's a, a lady named Whitney Johnson that talks about S-curves, and I really believe that, that uh, she's on to something. It, with our technical people, we need to figure out how to recognize that as you're on an S-curve, it's hard at the beginning, and then you hit a sweet spot in the middle. But you can't stay in that sweet spot forever. You have to continue to look at what's the next S-curve. And so there's about three things that I would point people to. The first one would be listening to podcasts. Um, there's some really great ones. Uh, one, three that I recommend, one is Coaching for Leaders. Um, our mutual friend, Dave Stahoviak, who, who did an introduction for us, um, does a great podcast that comes out weekly. Um, really, really helpful there. Uh, a guy named Tom Henschel runs the Look and Sound of Leadership as a podcast, and it really talks about how to how leadership looks and sounds and, and how to develop executive presence, a word that I hadn't heard before. But technical people often struggle in this area uh, because we know all the technical things, but we don't often know how to translate those into business language that people can understand. And so Tom's podcast has been really helpful. And then Dave Ramsey's group runs uh, something called Entree Leadership. And it's really more about um, helping people who are entrepreneurial. Uh, but between those three podcasts, there's a lot of information that technical people can really pick up on and learn. And out of that, a, a second thing that I think is vital for technical leaders to learn is something called emotional intelligence. Um, a guy named Daniel Goleman has done some really great work. Often in, in the technology careers, we tend to be drawn to those careers because they are technical and there's a part of our brain that really gets it and that we understand it, but we leave out a significant human component of that. And emotional intelligence and understanding how to be self-aware, appropriate emotional expression, how to help other people really work through some challenging things, motivation, um, that's, that's been an area, if I could go back and do over again, I would really look at and learn about uh, emotional intelligence from a very early stage in my career. And then the last part would be just recognize that a part of your work has changed from being an individual contributor of technology to being a coach and a mentor and really ensuring the success of your team. You're going to spend time in meetings. You're going to spend time doing non-technical things, things that are HR-like, budget uh, functions. Those are now an essential part of what you have to do to lead your team and to help them be successful. And most importantly is recognize that you're now a barrier breaker. When your team is blocked on something is you've got to go forward from where they are and help remove the barriers to whatever is happening to keep them from getting work done in an appropriate way. And that involves a lot of emotional intelligence, a lot of learning how to relate to other people. And, and those, I think, would be the, the things that I would really recommend for anybody that's just starting out in the technical area of, of leadership is to learn those things and recognize that uh, the job is not just about technology. It's about the people and the, and the team that uh, is supporting you. Uh, that's great. Um, 
those first two podcasts you mentioned are outstanding. Uh, I'll have to check out the third one. And, and you're right. It's, now you're just dealing with people who are very unpredictable, as opposed to computers and technology. So yeah. It's a totally different job. Um, you know, when you're an engineering leader, uh, I find, like, I find there's just so, so much to do. There's so many places you could spend your time, so many demands. So, uh, so how do you, what's your workday like and how do you manage your time, you know, meetings, emails, uh, all kind of things that come in? How, how do you deal with it? Yeah, I would guess that we're probably not a whole lot different than a lot of technology uh, focused areas of, we live and die in email and by a calendar and meetings. And it's really learning how to delegate and to say no uh, appropriately. Because I get invited to a lot of meetings where people want a subject matter expert. And they know me because I've been at the company for a number of years. But that's an opportunity for me to say, I don't need to be the one there. They really need one of my team or even somebody that's not on my team that's a better subject matter expert than me. And and that kind of goes all the way back to that first uh, question that we talked about of how can I delegate? And, and delegate to the person and make sure they understand, look, you may be swimming in the deep end now, but I know you can do it and encourage them to do it because otherwise the tyranny of the urgent just is always in front of us. Um, and and then also figuring out how to, to really coach and mentor people. And I used to think those were the same things, coaching and mentoring, I thought they were the same. But I, I'm recognizing now that they're really uh, different things. Um, as I've worked more with, with Dave in the, the Coaching for Leaders Academy, um, coaching has a very different aspect, and it is very powerful in how we can help the person grow and help our team help us take things off our plate. Um, and, and I think also with, with email is learning not to, again, be the first person to answer. If I can just wait a few minutes longer, maybe it's overnight, and see if someone on the team responds, then I'm not in the middle of that. Because one of the things that I find is as soon as I put myself in the middle, now I'm also the barrier. I'm the, the, the piece that keeps things from moving uh, because I often don't have the opportunity to spend the time focusing on individual pieces that really need a lot of, of work, but my team does. And it really helps the team grow when I delegate to them. All right, so using uh, delegation, so leveraging delegation uh, to help free up your time. That's great. Yes. Um, could you, is, is there maybe a personal habit you feel that's contributed to your success? Yes, I think I, I every day on my calendar, at, at uh, mine happens to be 4.30 in the afternoon, I schedule 30 minutes that just says daily thought time. And when I'm successful at protecting that time, it allows me to get my head up out of the water, so to speak, out of the weeds of what's happening with the daily grind of whatever's happening in the business and look around at what else is going on. Uh, that's when I'll take time to listen to the podcast, um, some of the leadership podcasts that we talked about, or to go read articles. How can I be a better person, a better leader that really understands big picture what we're doing. And having that daily time to just decompress, 
sometimes it's at my desk. Sometimes I'll go take a walk. Sometimes it's I'll actually head out a little bit early and drive a different way home um, just to, to clear my head of what's going on and to think about what do we need to do to develop our roadmap? What do I need to do to develop people? How do I, how do I get away from the tyranny of the urgent and really get into that quadrant that is about uh, doing important work? And, and protecting that time is, uh, is an important habit that I, uh, when I do that, I, I really see success and a lot of moving the needle. That's great. Yeah, so the ability to kind of detach and kind of um, from, from the tyranny of the urgent. I think that's really great. Um, is there maybe a tool or internet resource or app or something that you depend upon? Maybe you couldn't live without? Well, I, I thought about this one a little bit. Um, there's not specifically one, but I think there's one that I use inadvertently that is actually pretty important. And, and it's generically it's YouTube. Um, because there's so many free training resources that are available. Um, yeah, it, it's, also possible to waste a lot of time, um, but if, if I'm looking for something of a how-to or information about um, leading, there's a lot of YouTube videos that are, that are there. So that's probably not the answer you were looking for, uh, but there's, there's really not a, a, another resource that I, I use on a regular basis other than just, you know, searching and, and looking for people who are thinking new thoughts, different things of, of, or approaches of the way that we're doing things and just watch some of the videos that are available there. Well, I, I, I think it's a great answer. I mean, I love YouTube. I'm with you. You can, you can find a video to teach you almost anything. You can watch conference talks from amazing people, TED Talks. You yeah. can, like, it's, yeah. it's amazing the there, stuff you can find on there for free. Yeah. Now, there are two particular websites for me that um, I really use for keeping up with things that are happening. One of them, a guy named Brian Krebs, uh, runs KrebsOnSecurity.com. Uh, that's a, that's a must-read for people in information security, and even for people who are not. If it's something important, Krebs is going to publish something about it. And then there's a group that um, I follow pretty closely, Black Hills Information Security. It's BlackHillsInfosec.com. Uh, John Strand is the owner there, and, and I just love some of the things that John approaches life with. Um, you know, he, he talks about, especially in information security, we tend to be wizards impressing wizards. You know, if you've ever gone to an information security um, presentation or conference, a lot of times it's people trying to impress somebody else there. And he says, we really need to stop doing that. We need to go find people who want to learn and bring them along with us. And, and right now on the front of their, their webpage, he says, our, our main goal is not to prove that we can hack into a company, but to help the customer develop a series of point solutions and technologies that will improve the overall security of the company. And, and we want to be collaborative, not adversarial. There's, there's so many security people that don't get that part of it. Of If you raise everybody's level of security, you're really helping everyone. And, and John and his team do a ton of education that also is hosted on YouTube. Um, and you can find that information there, but um, they do it for free and uh, the educational pieces of it, and, and they're just awesome group of people to work with. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to it. I'll have to check that out. You know, since, since you are a subject matter expert on information security, and I don't think I really had anyone on here 
or, you know, who's an expert in this. Maybe we could just ask, like, is there something, because I think a lot of engineering managers have kind of this love-hate relationship with information security uh, teams. So is there anything you, you would say to engineering leaders and managers maybe that they misunderstand or might be helpful to them in, in thinking about this? Yeah, that's uh, from the time that I started here, uh, my signature line in my email has had a, a line that says, security is everybody's business. And, and I want help to help everyone understand how what they do interfaces and impacts security. And so many information security people are the no people and not the K-N-O-W, they're the N-O people. And, and you can't do that. As a security person, you have to go and talk to people about what they're wanting to do and help them understand how to do it securely. And information security people fail at this on a regular basis. Uh, we, we still struggle with this regularly within the company uh, here, but that's been our approach is how can we enable and help innovation and business strategy instead of, because you're right, a lot of people in technical careers are like, oh, no, I have to deal with security. They only tell me no. Um, but really, bringing security people in early, if we, can, if we can take a look at a strategic direction we're going really early on, and maybe we need to make a one-degree change. Well, at ground zero, one degree is not very impactful. But if you wait till you're four miles down the road, one degree change that should have been made at the beginning is a lot of change. And sometimes people force an issue where by not bringing the security people in to get uh, an opinion early, they, and they end up creating a situation where it's really difficult to say yes and you sometimes have to say no because it's not secure. Whereas if there would have been a change at the very beginning, uh, it could have been almost no impact. And, and that's what our desire and our goal is, is, is to be part of the innovation process in a way that we enable the way to do secure coding if it's a developer or, you know, secure systems um, if we're on the system administration side um, to, to really enable and help people figure out how to do things securely instead of having to come back and do rework because nobody wants to do rework. And that's often where security is brought in late enough that there's just a lot of rework. Got it. Yeah, if you bring security too late, then it can, right, cause a lot of rework or be a, be a problem. So that's, that's yeah. great. Um, if you could recommend one book to managers, what would it be and why? Oh, there's a guy named Todd Henry that wrote a book called Herding Tigers. Um, I buy a copy of that and give it to every one of our new technical managers because it's not herding cats. And he uses an analogy. He's like, cats can't hurt you. Tigers can hurt you. Every one of us on our security teams have tigers. Really, really smart people that are really good at what they do. And we often don't feed them well. We don't give them context around what they're doing. Um, we'll, we'll be thinking out loud, and they'll think we just gave them a set of instructions to go do something, and then they go do it. And then we come back and say, no, why were you doing that? That's wrong work but we didn't realize they were ready to go. They were hungry and ready to go, and we didn't give clarity around what was happening, and we had them working on the wrong thing. And at some point, a tiger can hurt you. Um, and, and sometimes that hurt is by leaving because they're frustrated. 
Uh, we often hear the analogy of people go to work for great companies and they leave because they have a bad manager um, or supervisor because they're not provided the leadership skills and, and the leadership and direction that they need. And, and Todd puts a lot of context and verbiage around things that I felt and I kind of knew, but I didn't know how to express it. And he does a, just a fabulous job of really talking about what that looks like, how to manage creative people is the subject, the, the, the subtitle of that book. Um, and, and like I said, I, I give that to every one of our new technical managers and, and offer an opportunity to sit down and talk through some of the things that I see in there. Um, it's probably the book that I've written the most notes in, and, and I have my copy that I'll never be able to give to anybody because I've got just so much in there that I go back and reference on a regular basis. Wow. I, I haven't heard this book, but I love the title. That's really interesting. Uh, I'm going to have yeah. to check it out. Wow. Um, all book. right. Okay. Um, all right. One, one more question. Uh, earlier, I think you mentioned, you know, uh, mentoring, coaching. I think you said, you know, some of these things were a little bit different. Um, if you could maybe talk a little bit more about your approach to how you mentor and coach members of your team or how you deal with career development. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear maybe like what you do and, and your thoughts on it. Sure. Um, the first thing that I do is I schedule regular meetings with my team and I let them individually determine the length of time and the frequency. Uh, most people I schedule regular weekly meetings and the reason I do that Are these is one on one, one on one, regular, right. um, yeah, okay. and and it does take a considerable amount of time, but I think the investment is worth it. So the the individual then, once they establish, okay, I want to have 30 minutes once a week, um, then they have to bring the agenda, and we'll talk about what is concerning to them. What are the things that are top of mind for them, and and just asking questions. Um, there's a guy named Michael Bungay-Spanier who uh, does a lot of coaching, and uh, he's, he's been coach of the year a couple different times. And, and some of the, he's got seven um, questions that he asks. And the first one is, what's on your mind? And that's a very powerful question to ask my team because they'll tell me then, and we can talk about why either that's important or not. And sometimes if I have to cancel a meeting uh, that's, that's a one-on-one, then it's two weeks before we've had a conversation. But at least they know every two weeks I've got or you know, a dedicated time where I can bring a concern that I have to my supervisor and, and we can talk through what that's like. And sometimes they're valid. Sometimes it's just they need more information. But people need to be heard. Technical people especially, kind of going back to that herding tigers, are, are, I've got a team of tigers and, and they need to know that they're being validated, that they're heard, they're understood, and they're valued. And that is a time where I can do that. And, and I would really consider that coaching, um, where I'm asking them questions, helping them get better, as opposed to mentoring, which is more of what I would consider instruction, um, where I'm sharing my thoughts, my perspective um, on things, as opposed to helping them draw out from themselves really what they probably already know and they've probably got a better insight into things than I do because they're closer to the action every day. They see for us the phishing emails that are coming in, and they've got an idea of 
how we can better educate our employees to recognize those fishes? Or what kind of attacks do we see um, attacking our systems? And how do we mitigate those? How do we put controls in place and protections in place that just make some of those things go away and we don't have an issue with them anymore? But if I didn't spend that time regularly with my team, I would miss out on hearing those, uh, hearing their passion, what, they, what really drives them, and why they come to work every week, every day. Uh, and there's also a component of that of really understanding them as a person, uh, to make sure that I know what's happening in their home life. I don't need to know all the details. But if they've got somebody that is in their family that's sick, I want to know that because I want to support them with that. Uh, I want to be able to, to know when kids' birthdays are coming up so that I can just go in and say, hey, it's your son's birthday. Take off an hour early. Take off a couple hours early. Uh, go to that basketball game. Go do something with your wife. It's your anniversary. Uh, but if you don't ever invest in people as people, as humans, and have a relationship with them, you just feel like you're a cog in the wheel, and nobody wants to be a cog in the wheel. They want to have value and contribute. Um, I think that's great. That's great. Um, all right. Uh, well, Randy, you've been, like, really generous with your time. I think you, you shared a lot of really uh, valuable uh, things for our audience, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this again. Um, where can people... Uh, where can people go to learn more about you if they wanted to, um, yeah, just learn more about you or connect with you? Sure. So I've got a personal website, randyraw.com, uh, and it's R-A-W. People are often surprised that that's how you had to spell my last name. Um, that would be a starting spot. I don't have a lot of information there. I've just begun um, putting some data there. Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm at Randy Raw. Um, Twitter, also at Randy Raw. Um, I don't tweet a whole lot of things. Uh, I do repost some things on, on LinkedIn. Um, just now getting to the point where I have some time because I've begun better at, at delegating um, so that that way my team can do some of those things. I, it allows me to, to share a little bit more on LinkedIn and, and uh, in my personal blog that, that will be on my website. Okay. I'll put a link to those in the notes. So, Randy, again, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I have had a great time. Thank you for having me, and I hope that uh, provided some value for your listeners.